Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today's Thursday, February 15th. I'm Stephen Overly. Sunday night was a big night. Not because of the Super Bowl, because President Joe Biden officially joined TikTok. Chiefs or Niners? Two great quarterbacks, hard to decide. But if I didn't say I was for the Eagles, then I'd be sleeping alone. My wife's a Philly girl. Game or commercials? Game. Game or halftime show? Game. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I understand she makes great chocolate chip cookies. Deviously plotting to rig the season so the Chiefs would make the Super Bowl or the Chiefs just being a good football team? I'd get in trouble if I told you. Trump or Biden? Are you kidding? <laughs> Biden. It was a surprise that may have delighted no one more than TikTok itself. This has been all over. And there's no shortage of funny takes grading Biden's appearance. Fire everyone. Here's John Stewart on Monday night. How do you go on TikTok and end up looking older? But what was so interesting to me, and many others watching this appearance, was not just Biden talking about Mama Kelsey's chocolate chip cookies. It's how the app went essentially from being persona non grata in Washington, getting grilled on Capitol Hill, calls for the app to be banned, threats of a forced sale, all because it could pose a national security risk, to where we are today, with Biden's campaign adopting it. To me, this is partially a story about TikTok's lobbying and influence, but also about influencers and how effectively the Biden campaign will use this platform. So I called up two reporters, Haley Fuchs, who has written about TikTok's lobbying machine, and Rachel Janfaza, who has reported on how young voters are responding to TikTok's newest star. Join us as we scroll through Biden's TikTok. Rachel, Haley, welcome to Politico Tech. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Rachel, let's review Biden's first TikTok and just kind of walk me through your observations of the reaction that it's getting. Definitely. So I think it was a very strategic move on behalf of the Biden campaign to launch this during the Super Bowl with a Super Bowl themed meme-like style face-to-camera video where the president was really playing into a lot of the cultural conversation that was happening while folks were watching the Super Bowl across the country. And There were some questions about why he decided to do that. A lot of the influencers that I spoke to were actually somewhat critical of that. But I think from the campaign side, that was something that they did on purpose. And at a time where everyone is criticizing him for his age, he was able to talk about something that a lot of younger Americans are interested in and also talking about. And I think since that initial post, we've seen the campaign has posted some other videos, media clips, clips of former President Donald Trump, a little more behind-the-scenes look at some of the campaign operatives. So I think it was a first taste of the type of stuff we might get down the line, but there's likely to be a diverse range of content that's going to be coming out of this TikTok account. And Haley, I mean, less than a year ago, TikTok was facing a potential ban in the U.S. Its CEO was being grilled by Congress. Now the president is posting videos on the platform. Sketch out the journey for me. How did the company get to this place? So I think that the kind of TikTok DC operation has been years in the making. It's spent millions of dollars to try and find friends in in Washington and across the country and in state legislatures. 
it, you know, like you said, a year ago or less than a year ago at this time, TikTok was kind of a boogeyman in Washington. Lawmakers of both parties were saying they wanted to ban the app. But in some ways, that kind of outrage died down um, and TikTok was able to kind of slide through this and kind of weather the storm and got to a point where, you know, it was almost necessary for the campaign to, to get on the app. I mean, it's truly astounding the the resources they've put into this. I think one thing that we found out when reporting out a story on the campaign joining TikTok this week is that TikTok actually hired Democratic campaign consultants um, who were making its case saying that Democratic campaigns should join the app. It had former senators, former lawmakers of, of both parties making its case before Congress. It really had a network of dozens of operatives and people deeply entrenched in D.C. and beyond making its case. Rachel, the Biden campaign has only been on TikTok about a week now, so still pretty new account. What did the social media mavens you interviewed have to say about whether he's kind of successfully vibing with this audience he's trying to reach? When it comes to the creators that I talk to who span a range of political influencers, more lifestyle creators, comedians... I think their biggest piece of advice for the president after watching his first video was just to be himself and not to try too hard to create something that would be relatable for younger audiences. Some of them felt that it was almost trying too hard to resonate with young people. And really what they want to see is just him being him behind the scenes. What does it look like to be president of the United States of America? What does it look like to be running for president for a second term. And that was interesting that people were sort of making these connections to his relatability and and his age and whether or not these TikTok posts sort of feel authentic. Was there any particular feedback you heard that really stuck out to you? There were a lot of funny little tidbits that these creators shared with me. V. Spehar, who runs Under the Desk News, suggested that the president maybe show us more behind the scenes at the White House, even suggesting a Get Ready With Me video, you know, the type of uh, trend on social media (laughs) (laughs) where creators famously show getting ready behind the scenes, their skincare, makeup routines. And, you know, I don't know if we'll see that from President Biden, but I do think it could be a great idea for him to show us like, What does it look like when he wakes up in the morning and he's reading the daily news clips and he's getting ready to start his day? That could do really well. Another suggestion that I heard across the board was to do collaborations with other social media creators, other people on the platform. And this is something that, you know, the president's team has been really uh, strategic about working with creators. They've made relationships with folks who have a lot of clout on social media and The creators I spoke with, many of whom are part of that group, said, you know, bring us into the operation. Let us be a part of this. One other, Annie Wu Henry, who famously ran now Senator John Fetterman's TikTok account when he was running for Senate in 2022, she suggested that the president and his campaign do more with everyday Americans who he's meeting along the campaign trail in order to show more of that authentic side and his retail politics in a way that would be really digestible for everyday users of the platform. Some of the comments people made to you were kind of criticisms that, you know, the president is posting about the Super Bowl and making these TikToks when there are important policy issues going on, right? Like, why isn't he talking about the war in Gaza? Or why isn't he talking about abortion access? Is there a risk of being maybe too kind of flippant, trying to be too relatable on 
TikTok when this young generation is also aware of some of these policy issues? Totally. And I think TikTok is a unique place in that there has been a robust conversation about the war between Israel and Hamas and the situation in Gaza on the platform. And so many of the creators that I spoke with directly mentioned and suggested that the president talk about the situation and his own foreign policy on the platform. One creator, Talia Lickstein, who's an internet personality and a podcast host, you know, she called it the elephant in the room in terms of the conversation around Israel and Palestine. And she suggested that the president do an explainer, breaking down his policy position on the conflict versus former President Donald Trump's position. But there definitely is an appetite and almost a necessity for him to be wading into his policy positions and issue standpoints on the platform uh, because it's being talked about on the platform. And if he just ignores that and plays into sort of the lighthearted levity, he's missing a huge part of what does happen for young people on TikTok. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Haley, your reporting showed that TikTok has boosted its spending on lobbying and, as you said, sort of cultivated really influential friends over the past year to sort of win over these skeptical lawmakers. Who are these influential friends and how are they actually helping TikTok turn its fortunes around? Maybe it's helpful to look at who some of their lobbyists are here. They have former Senator Trent Lott. They have former Congressman Joe Crowley. They have former Senator John Bro. They have former lawmakers across the political spectrum who are, you know, able to leverage their relationships in Washington to TikTok's advantage. They have plastered their ads on Union Station. They really made TikTok unavoidable in Washington. And I think it's interesting because they hired up and look to hire up operatives in big tech, people had, who had worked at other tech competitors. And I think we saw that TikTok was able to kind of emulate a strategy by Facebook or, or other tech platforms to become kind of almost a part of Washington. We saw the CEO of TikTok sitting next to the CEO of Meta and the CEO of Snap, kind of just among the other tech companies, as opposed to a kind of boogeyman on its own. One interesting anecdote to bring here is that when we did this investigation into TikTok's DC operation last year, uh, we found that TikTok actually was pitching that it was trying to build a team of Avengers as part of his government affairs operation. It really knew that it had to kind of bring in star power and have this kind of expansive presence in Washington to prevent action against the app. You said they're trying to assemble Avengers. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, I think that they knew that there was going to be a lot of heat on TikTok, given its kind of relationship with and ties to China. And it knew that it had to kind of build this team of like the best of the best, the most connected people in Washington so that it could 
have friends and prevent being banned. I mean, it's really funny because last April, everyone was talking about, is TikTok going to be banned? Is it going to, you know, is Congress going to ban it? Is the Biden administration going to, to move to ban it? And, you know, over the last several months, that conversation's kind of been dead. I mean, no one's really talked about banning TikTok. And I think at least part of that is because TikTok put so much effort into making friends and building its reputation in Washington. So Haley, with Biden now on TikTok, I mean, is it the end of the company's woes here in Washington? I mean, no more political fire kind of coming its way? Well, one person close to TikTok's government affairs operation told me that it certainly complicates what the Biden administration does around TikTok. This person pointed to the Obama campaign in 2008, the fact that it was an early adopter of Facebook, and that certainly complicated how the administration, the Obama administration, approached Facebook. So it makes things complicated, and certainly I think it shows that there's multiple kind of pressures here, one being the pressure from the the president to be on the app to speak to young people, but also the pressure of the national security concerns around the app. Yeah, you know, just as a reporter who's covered this stuff for the last however many years, you know, really since the 2016 election, where Silicon Valley's reputation in Washington has just taken a bit of a nosedive. There is this dichotomy where politicians are critical of these platforms, talk about regulating these platforms, and yet are very fervent users of these platforms, right? Because they're just a, a major way to reach people. And that comment came across, Haley, one of the political consultants you spoke with was a former Obama campaign manager, Jim Messina. And he said, you know, it's absolutely essential that Democrats be on this platform. Is that the appeal here that, you know, this is TikTok's just so large, it reaches young voters that Biden cannot afford to not be on TikTok? I mean, I think it's worth noting that Mestina is also a, a paid consultant for TikTok. So um, I think, you know, one has to take what he says and what other consultants for TikTok say with a grain of salt. But certainly... There are lots of young people on TikTok. Certainly, there's a pressure for the campaign to join to speak to voters. But I think TikTok has also been working to make sure that that message that the campaign should be on TikTok is out there. It's funny because in TikTok's response to this story, they actually pointed out that the average age of U.S. users was over 30. Um, so seemingly trying to push back on this idea that the only people on the app are, are young people. Um, I thought that was interesting uh, that TikTok was trying to potentially position itself as part of a broader place in American culture beyond just kind of even like Gen Z or millennials. And Rachel, let me come back to you here. You know, you've reported in the past that the Democratic Party's TikTok account has a half million followers. The Republican Party doesn't have an account. Is that a barometer for, you know, how well these parties are connecting with young voters on this platform? So I'm glad you mentioned that piece about the young Republicans. They were basically asking the Republican Party to get on TikTok, the ones that I spoke to for that piece. They were saying, you know, it's very clear that Democratic lawmakers and Democrats in general are more eager to listen and engage with younger voters than their Republican counterparts are. And they were almost saying not in these exact words, but that, you know, they, they wish that the Republicans would do the same. And I don't think that follower count is necessarily the best barometer of success on TikTok, given that the way that the platform's algorithm works and view count is perhaps a better metric for success on the platform. But with that being said, the fact that the Democrats and now President Biden's campaign are on TikTok and the Republicans and former President Trump are not on TikTok, 
Um, I do think that Democrats have an upper hand there. But I also think that, you know, historically speaking, young voters tend to lean more to the left than to the right. And so it's kind of Democrats audience to lose. I hold listening sessions and conversations with young people across the country. And so many times when I ask, where do you get your news and information? The number one place they list is TikTok. So if he's not on there, he's just missing out on potentially reaching those people with something that, you know, they could see a video and they could say, at least he's on here. And I think that is like a tip in his hat that, you know, could work in his favor. Listen, Haley, Rachel, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. See you back here tomorrow. <laughs>